This is Kirsten Barrington-Hughes of the Carolina Film Community, speaking at the Ground Crew Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, with actor, teacher, and consultant John D'Aquino from Los Angeles. Thank you, John, for coming. My pleasure. We wanted to pick your brain a little bit today about the, you know, what goes into the honing of the acting craft, what actors really need to focus on, kind of um, all of, you know, what we can disseminate within our short podcast that you know about, you know, acting today. You just have such a wealth of knowledge and you're such a great teacher. So we wanted to kind of pick your brain. Does that sound okay? Yeah, do what I can. Excellent. So um, I'm a big fan of yours, and I've been to your classes, and I've also been to the classes of the people that work for you, and you guys do amazing things. Um, And um, I know that you have uh, a lot of improv classes, and that's a a real base for the the craft that you're teaching. Can you tell me about, you know, how big a part of the acting craft is knowing improv? How important is that? Uh, The first thing I want to say is I I believe Stanislavski, who is sort of the father of all acting coaching, he never really felt like writing a book. He was forced to write a book, and then after he wrote it, he thought, it isn't even relevant anymore, (laughs) what he wrote. And I think that sort of sums up what acting is at its core. It's a fluid art. It's uh, it's a human art. So when you talk about improvisation, you're talking about something that's unfolding in the moment. That's not predetermined. And I think that's the basis of where we we form our school and and how we feel about it. And that's in a comedic or a dramatic sense. Uh, In fact, tomorrow I'll be touching upon it in uh, in Atlanta on Sunday. Um, The focus of my work right now is less about what's on that page and a lot more about what isn't. You know, I I remember you saying one time, and it was a really kind of pivotal moment for me to understand about acting and and preparation that needs to be done. But I remember you saying something like, the sides or the script that you get, if you actually took all the words and you crunch them all down, you would get probably an eighth of a page full of dialogue and the rest is blank. And you need to, it's like a canvas that as an actor, you you paint the rest of what else is going on that isn't just written. Am I paraphrasing that right? I think you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, yeah, so that was one of the first lessons I ever got in Hollywood, that if you squished all the black on the page, it would probably amount to oh, 10% of the page. And sometimes that's generous. So we already know that your competition is bringing in that 10%. I think that the competition is focusing far too much on the 10%. If you're focusing on the black of the page only, you're focusing in the wrong place. So now, the, the objective is, especially with when you're teaching kids, is they want to know how do you fill that white. And that's, a, that's the fluid question because you have to fill it with your own life experience. And then you have to give your life experience a value. And then, but the easiest thing, I will segue into this, is that um, I, I always wondered why Robert De Niro was my favorite actor, and I, th- I figured out that he's always asking the other character a question, and the question usually is, "Are you lying to me?" Mm. And it's different than just saying, "I think he's lying to me." Period. 
Because once you form it into an interrogative, into a question mark, the musculature in your face changes. It evolves. And something human, lifelike occurs. It's a spontaneous thing. So the focus of a lot of my work now is creating questions constantly to wrap around that black type on the page because your character is constantly alive if that's the case. I have been called in, my staff has been called in to literally get rid of dead face on an actor's face on screen. And the, the ways that we have found to activate that is by asking questions constantly. So I go to the Robert De Niro School of Acting. Are you lying to me? Are you telling me the truth? What are you really saying? What's in between what you're saying, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, so I think um, what you're what you're saying reminds me of all the research that you demand your students do. For example, if they have an audition and they have some sides or a script, you have them do homework <coughs> that they should be doing for every audition around the director, the casting director, the moment before, the moment after, all of that stuff, right? Can you explain a little bit about that? So I think that there's opportunities for us to have clues as to what, they're, what they want. Uh, nowadays, you have the tool of um, International Movie Database, IMDB, mm -hmm. and you can search a director, you can search the writer, you can find out where they've been, what they've written, what their style is. And that normally is the great uh, path to the way they want to see this performance delivered. In fact, the character you may be reading for may be a, may a classic archetypical character that they've drafted before. And so if you're looking for clues, you may want to see where they're from, what they've done before. Uh, certainly if you're doing an Aaron Sorkin project, there's a lot to pull from. And you better be very intelligent. Okay. And you mentioned about um, getting called to deal with dead face. Is this part of the consulting work you do? You go on set and help people that have already booked a role, but to, to bring <coughs> out the best in them? Uh, that's one thing. Part of, you know, when I consult, it's a lot of it's done for the parents because you're, we have parents that are very highly successful, bright people from a linear world whose child <laughs> – fortunately or unfortunately, wants to venture into the arts. And, and so this, this parent, usually, who has linear thinking, is trying to wrap their mind around the conundrum of show business, which is not so linear. So, uh, you know, I, I try and help the parent navigate what the road ahead might look like. But also, I, I'm constantly asking the kid or the teen in one way, one question or another, do you really want this? Because it's a journey, it's a lot of work, and are you are you in this for the journey or are you in this for the result? Because if you're result-oriented, this could be a, a heartbreaking path. If you're in love with the journey of acting, the journey of this artistry, you won't have a bad day. Right, and patience is a huge part of it, right? It is, and perseverance, um, now, when you say patience, that means you're, you're patient waiting upon a goal. Well, you know, we're all goal-oriented, so I get it. But in a way, if today is good enough and if this moment is good enough, there's nothing to be in a hurry for. Right. It's, it's kind of a hard concept, and you have to feed yourself. And trust me, I used to pray by the dumpster of Jaime's seafood when I was the bartender uh, saying, please, 
dear God, soon. And literally, uh, good story, the, um, the chairman of the board of the William Morris Agency sat at my bar one night, plucked me out, and uh, I had a series a couple of months later. But I will say that I would not have had that series a couple of months later if I was not ready, if I had not had the teachers that, that taught me. Who were your biggest mentors? Uh, I, had, I had some great ones. The First, the, the dean uh, at Florida State University, Dr. Richard Fallon, was a great inspiration. He, ha- he had a love. He was a... If you know the play, The Rainmaker, he was a Starbuck. He was a dreamer, and, and he really instilled that in us to go for our dreams. And he taught me a lot. Um, in California, you know, I had, I had some wonderful teachers. Um, one who passed, who he really, uh, as a matter of fact, he was at Florida State, and then he went to, when he went back to L.A., and he asked me to do a monologue at Florida State, and he was looking at me. And, and then he walked to the side of me and then the other side of me and nothing in my monologue changed. And then he walked behind me and I didn't see him because he was standing by and nothing in my monologue changed. And then he left the room and then he walked down the hallway and nothing. And then finally I got smart and I peeked out the door and I, and I was so mad that he was dismissing me that I, I ran down the hallway. I grabbed him by his shoulders and I forcibly pressed him against the lockers and I finished my monologue (laughs) and he looked at me and he said oh well now I heard you Mm. because now you're talking to me Mm. because and that really was an an eye-opening experience um, because I thought it was all about words and and me um, performing for people and it wasn't about me at all as it turned out. And then the late, great Charles Nelson Riley, who was known to be the great silly comedian on television, uh, behind the scenes in the acting world was known to many of us as a great inspirational teacher. Uh, I, you know, I have about a million Charles stories, as all of his students do, and we uh, adore him, um, and we talk about him to this day, an amazing man. We've had uh, speakers come in and talk to us about the Meisner technique and other techniques. Mm-hmm. Is there one technique that really, you know, hits home with you that you also pass on to your students? I get concerned about the word technique because I think in many ways it's a way for a teacher to make money. My technique. <laughs> and once again, if we, if we go back to Stanislavski, it's, it's, it's a fluid art form. So um, whatever – Whatever true life in the moment you want, whatever name you want to give that, as it's unfolding right now, for me, it's a, it's understanding the value of the unknown. When you have a conversation with someone at night or you meet each other at a restaurant, you don't rehearse that conversation in advance. Right. I don't tell you what to, how you, so therefore, I have no idea what you're going to say next. Mm-hmm. Yet so, so much of acting, unfortunately, seems to be predetermined. So it loses this, this kinetic life feel. So for me, at this point in my life, I'm not interested at all in a predetermined performance. I don't want to see one, and I'll tune out of one. It's the same thing if I go to a musical concert. I can tell, as most people can tell, if this wonderfully gifted singer is teching this performance. Right. 
or if they are coming at this from all of their heart and soul, I'll know that simply because I'll have chills going up and down my body. Yeah. It'll move me. And that's, that's really what we have to get to. So we have to, we have to be a clear conduit of that. You are a huge resource in L.A. for child actors. And with child actors, how do you get over the fact that they don't often have this life experience to really bring this authenticity to the role? What do you do to kind of stretch them to come up with something that maybe if they've had a pretty charmed life, they don't have anything to draw upon, for example, or, you know, that kind of thing? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And... Um... I don't like to um, play down to kids. I don't know. Really, I don't really teach children's classes. Right. The same class I will teach for a nine to thirteen year old, I will teach at a university. Um, I'm kind of asking them to step up to grasp the meaning. Just past this past Tuesday, I had a conversation with my class regarding the value of not knowing for the actor versus knowing. Well, that's a very esoteric conversation to have with these kids, but I've got to. I've got to open their mind to that so that they un- I can shortcut the distance between them becoming a fine artist and just another pedestrian actor. It's hard because – and then sometimes I will look at the parents. So <laughs> there are some kids that are comedically challenged. <laughs> and when I meet the parents, I go, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's because they, it's not something that's in their house. Right. I mean, uh, hang out with funny grandparents. Uh, you know, go go to the funniest people in the family and hang out with them. I grew up in a house where my father had a heart attack at 40, and there was a lot of depression in the house. We had four kids. My mother was stressing beyond belief. A lot of – I just felt like I had to become the entertainer to bring life and spirit into the house. So – and I also lived in a part of New York where if I went with the younger kids, I got bored. When I went with the older kids, I got beat up. So I ended up watching a lot of television, and I was watching the greats. You had to be really great to make it to television because it was only three channels. And, and they became my first teachers. And then eventually I said, you know, these people are having a lot more fun than I am. How do I get into that box? And then, it, you know, lo and behold, I didn't know it, but I was beginning to put together a, a pathway to get inside that television. So, okay, what the heck was your question? <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> you know, I've, I've sat in some of your classes, and it seems like your kids are – the kids that you're teaching are really in there to – I mean, they're so mature. They they get they get so much out of your classes. They're really at a different level, I think, than every class I've been to. And um, I know it's because you don't treat them like kids. And just back to that point, I think that's great. Um, what would you say about you know? You mentioned perseverance. Um, what do you say to people that are you know struggling with uh, Hollywood rejection and and doubting themselves and things like that? I wish I could get everybody to buy into the journey. It's hard because in my class right now, I have one kid who's only with us for six months but happens to be available to this information and is able to process it and to put it into practice quickly and also brings to it her own inner life that I could not provide her. So already she's booking a lot. She just finished an Eddie Murphy movie, a very important one. And she's doing a lot of a lot of work, 
And then sitting next to her will be another child who doesn't, who comes from from an entirely different place. I want success for both of them, but I, I can't, I can't invest in the result. I have to invest in their journey, and I have to get them to understand it. Because for a lot of them, it may not be about acting at all. In the long run. We think it's about acting. We think it's about wanting to get a movie or be on television. But at the end of the day, is that what I'm really about? Is that is that my value here? Is that what I was supposed to do here? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it could be being here in this room in Charlotte. I, wherever I am, I think I have to be present. And I think if there's a lesson to be learned in acting, it's stay present to the moment. Right. And that's good advice in life. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then also... At some point, you have to walk into a room, regardless of who you are or what you end up doing, and you have to take that room. And usually the way to take that room is to connect with the people inside that room. Right. You know, we talk about sometimes when, you, when you're auditioning for a role, not to treat it as an audition, but treat it like you're showing up to work. Uh, does that make sense to you? Or what would you say about the audition experience and the way to approach it? Well, that's an astute question. That's probably not a question that most people would uh, ask or even understand why why to ask it. So in other words, you're not asking for permission. You're not asking for uh, approval. You're showing up to do the job. you're, You're in the character. So let me just put it a different way. One thing I encourage our students to do is to not show up into an, a lobby for the audition and start to let the head games happen. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh my God, I saw him on television. I'll never get this part. He's so this, she's so that. The simple way to stay true is to, is to keep asking yourself, is that what your character's thinking? Mm. No, your character's hungry. No, <laughs> your character's desperate. No, your character needs something. Stay true to what the objective is of the character and, and get out of the rest of the, the accoutrement. Right. You know, you talk about, I, I think I've heard you say that after a scene when you're auditioning, you, you could add a button at the end. Can you explain what that is? So a button is something that um, maybe puts your signature on the end of a scene, the last impression that a casting director or a director might see. Uh, now, if you ask casting directors, how do you feel about buttons? You're going to get a mixed response. Some will say, oh, no, never. Some are very closed uh, about that. I believe in risk. I don't believe anything good is going to happen to you unless you. it comes with some intelligent risk. So I, I look at the end of it, and there may be a nonverbal button. So a button could be something that's spoken, uh, a few words, a little tag thing, or it could be a look, or it could be a secret that you're not sharing. It's something that gets them to linger and think about you a little bit longer. And by the way, the actor should never, ever end the audition. Okay, so... There have been times where we actors will get jobs because we didn't end it. It kept going. And so back to your first question about improvisation, you have to be ready for that moment. That's a golden opportunity. If they're not saying cut or they're not shutting off the camera... The, the life of the character must continue. Okay. So you could just continue on in improv format. Um, okay. That's interesting. 
Um, you mentioned risk. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what it means to make bold choices. Anything short of a bold, strong choice is wasting your time and their time. Your bold choice may not be what they want. It may be wrong, but it's our job to go in with strong choices. Otherwise, it's a complete waste of time for everybody. Okay. Um, And making those bold choices is based on your character backstory that you've come up with, your take on what that character would do, is thinking, would do next, all that stuff, right? If I may simplify, in my opinion, it's commitment to the objective of the character. Very simple. Okay. How committed are you to what you want, what you need, what you got to have, what you're afraid of, what you're willing to die for? All of that. Are you committed to it? Because that's all your character knows. And your character is normally living in a hyper-real state. It's real, but it's hyper-real. We don't want to watch real life. I mean, even any reality television program you're watching has been produced. It's produced and packaged. It's not unfolding real. It's not somebody on their couch picking their nose watching television. No one wants to watch that. We want to watch characters in crisis. Even comedic characters, they're always in crisis. Lucille Ball was in crisis every show she was in. Right. So we're watching hyperlife. Tell me about the difference between <laughs> acting and performing. Performing, I think, by it's already predetermined. I'm going to perform now. Aren't I wonderful? There's a little bit of that. Uh, it seems a little arrogant, even in, in the sound. Like, I'm putting on a show. Aren't I wonderful? It's all about me. And I think acting in its truest sense is something different. I think it's, I think great actors are uh, living so truly inside the the skin of their character that it's electric. They have no idea. They understand that the script. They're familiar with the script. They have no idea what's about to happen next. Right. You know. For me, when I think about um, great shows that were like uh, a masterclass in acting, I immediately think of Breaking Bad. There's something about that, uh, the uh, facials and the subtleties and the nuances of the face that are, and you know, with, with film and TV, you're working in such a small box rather than on the stage where you're big and so on. What, what would you say is uh, some of your like favorite acting examples? Well, you brought up a Breaking Bad. I, I loved it. I also loved all of the wonderful smaller characters on the show, because um, I'm forgetting the lead's name. Brian Cranston. Brian. Walter White. Yeah, wonderful. And but I, how do I put this? You know, like any actor, he's he lives in that character for a long time, and he's also the producer, so he knows it very well. It's less interesting to me than those ancillary characters that are alive and forming. Right. 
constantly around him. Some of those cartel people, I mean, where did they get these people from? No kidding, right? Scared the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like my hands are sweating watching the show. Yeah. Uh, all of those ancillary characters, they've got to fit in. So I, I was on Seinfeld once, and I can tell you it, that show has a big style to it. And you can start to fall into the trap of the style. Because, you know, Jerry's going to deliver some, you know, there's a, there's a delivery sound to that show. And now it's iconic. And there were times where I'm literally shooting the episode, and it's almost as if I'm at home watching it. And I thought, wait a minute, what are you doing? <laughs> you're, you're supposed to lend something to this. You're supposed to bring something fresh to this. Yeah. So I, I, I'm always looking at those smaller characters and what are they bringing to this you know, something that's something that's going to take me by surprise. And was it hard to bring something fresh to Seinfeld? Were they open to that? Uh, yeah, that's. But that would take about a half an hour and a lot of wine to go over that story. Okay. Um, so I know you're you're traveling around and and you're bringing you know really L.A. Hollywood level premium acting um, coaching to the Southeast right now, right on this this current trip. Um, what is the value for you in getting to know talent that's out of LA? Do you find that you're getting, you know, fresh, a fresh look at what's around other regions and, and so on? Yeah. And let me just say that Hollywood, Hollywood level, when you, def by definition is people from all across America who travel West and come to Hollywood for their career. So it's, Hollywood level is born of the regions. It's born of country towns. It's born of uh, other cities around America and around the world. The true melting pot. Yeah, and that's what we want to reflect. So I don't think I'm bringing anything that's not organic here. What I'm basically asking everyone to do is to say, well, first of all, who are you? Have you asked the question lately? Who are you? What is your signature that you can bring? Because the one thing that Hollywood doesn't have is your DNA. Mm-hmm. We don't have it. And if your DNA is specific and strong and bold and committed, then I know we don't have it. So what are you going to do with it? And I think that's not just Hollywood. I think that's all artistry. Art should challenge. Art, art should upset some people every now and then. It shouldn't be polite. Right. What, um, what would you say to an adult that just all of a sudden – now has the time or the support or the ability to get into acting for the first time, where would you point them in what direction? First thing I'd say is I'm going to point them toward love of the art. Don't do this for uh, what you think is going to be getting on this show or that show. Do it for the love of the art, and you may actually have a chance to get on a show. So also, have you, if you have lived a full life, you're going to be able to offer Hollywood some or offer the art something. If you, a lot of actors have never had a, another job, you know, um, so they don't really understand. And I also think Hollywood's guilty of being rather myopic. They don't. I don't think they truly. Sometimes at the studios have an understanding of not only their own country but the world. And I think we cannot have a myopic point of view. I think we got to get out there and meet people. We got to talk to other people. We have to understand. We have to live a life. We have to talk to people with opposing points of view. Mm -hmm. And we have to offer that. We have to interpret that. Awesome. Um, John, if people want to 
train with you or have uh, your consultations, the best place for them to go is your website, right? They can go to johndiaquino.net. Uh, and they can find us there. And I have a great staff. It's not just me. So any success story that comes out of our school, there's there's a number of people involved in that success story. Definitely. And my uh, associate Jafet is a is a big um, Jafet Gordon is a big uh, component in their success. Can I just say Jafet is amazing? He is. He is. He's super amazing. <laughs> um, and I guess he's super amazing because he's super he's human. You know, we're not trying to be. The objective is not perfection. The objective is human. Yeah. That's our art form. Yes. And, and yet you guys set the bar high and you, you know, you really demand the best of your students, which is, is key, I think. Um, and that website is um, johndaquino.net. It is. Okay, good. Um, John, thank you so much for coming to share with us. I think your perspective is so unfortunately unique and and so great to hear you articulate uh, that perspective. So thank you so much for for coming and sharing that with us. And um, this has been Kirsten Barrington-Hughes at the Carolina Film Community at the Ground Crew Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, speaking to John Diaquino. Thank you very much. Thank you. Music composed by Sean Beck.